Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and every week I bring you stories about revolution and revolt and weird folks and basically whoever I think is cool. And this week I'm very excited because I have someone cool to talk to as a guest. John Darnielle is a novelist and a musician, probably most famous for his work as a songwriter and singer in the Mountain Goats. John, how are you doing today? I am decent, all told. I'm tired. We were on the uh, in a different time zone. Uh, earlier this week so so yeah i'm good getting ready for tour we, we leave for tour on saturday we just came back from tour that's uh <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it's like in your business but in in the out there on stages business this is a subject of conversation for everybody right now that like yeah we're all hitting it so hard it's really unhealthy um but uh but i, I know tv people are doing the same things theater people music people like everybody because we lost a year, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, I didn't, you know, I went from a reliable paycheck to, to pretty much nothing for 2020. So, uh, I mean, I was lucky that we did some live stream concerts that helped, but, uh, and I had three shows in January that I was glad I, I did, but, uh, yeah. but other than that, like now, like, yeah, we don't get to rest for another decade. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, I did my first reader, like author event, um, last week for the first time since the pandemic started congratulations thanks it was very nice to get back to it although it i don't know i don't know it was just weird to go out in front of people after a while you know yeah no it's it's an adjustment it's uh we went out during the delta surges when we finally got back Mm -hmm. and it was a very uh rich emotional experience to be back i mean so great to be back on stage but also you know it was it was getting more and more unsafe by the day yeah Uh, yeah, and and the you know obviously the political environment that we've been living with is very bad. So. <laughs> what? No, no way! I, like, <laughs> I was just so yeah. bad. It's like you know, it's, I mean, the thing is, among mountain goats people, the the amount of blowback we got for asking for vaccines and stuff was, was almost nothing compared to like if a country yeah. artist asks, you know, uh, somebody with a you know with a broader base and perhaps more you know, I don't like the word traditional, but you know. People who might lean more conservative, I think among yeah. Mountain Goats fans lean 
lean pretty left of center for the most part, you know. There were one or two people who were mad. It's like, well, hey, man, you can be mad. <laughs> Try to be safe here. I don't, yeah. I don't really feel any 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 desire to like, you know. I, it's funny these people get on you with a sort of like, you know, hey, you you're gonna lose a fan. You know what? That's fine. <laughs> That's okay with me. <laughs> if your yeah. if your fanhood is contingent on me not stating, you know, a simple matter of conviction about yeah. public health. I'm a yeah. former nurse, right? <laughs> you know, then, then that's fine. It's not like I'm not really worried about an exodus of like, you know, oh, you're gonna lose all these fans because you asked for masks, masks of vaccines. Nah, I'm not worried about that. Have fun. Yeah. Go listen to somebody else. But, but it was that sort of environment, you know. It's like you get it. Uh, so it's been complicated. Yeah, I mean, I. I can imagine they didn't pay a lot of attention to the lyrics. I feel like your songs are about let's all take care of each other. You know, that's you like... know. So I mean, the thing is, but that's interesting to me. I don't know if you play Magic, um, but one of the things that people who play Magic will say who've been playing is like, there's a lot of reasons to be into it, right? Yeah. Like it's not just people who want to win. That's a style of play. Maybe you care the most about winning, but maybe you care more about the social aspect and the gameplay is fun. But it's a style of gameplay that allows for a certain type of interaction you like, or maybe it's the aesthetics of it, the 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 art yeah. and so forth. It's like it's a place to gameplay where the art is more immersive than if you're playing D and D, where all the art's inside your head. I mean, you have mm -hmm. obviously books, but it's, there's there's so many reasons you might want to play Magic, and it's the same with music. And honestly, with books, is like you know, people might be into your stuff for a bunch of reasons, right? So I've learned that over the years that like, and it's fine yeah. if somebody you know. If somebody has, you know, I'm I'm 55, and so like I I'm not so hardline that I say you have to be left wing to like mm -hmm. my stuff. There's some basic stuff, you know. It's like the, the the real bedrock stuff that that people on the left say. Look, if you you know if you can't be decent to people, then fuck you. Yeah, If you can't accept people's light, right to self determination, then fuck you. Right, but but uh, but again, we're living in a more polarizing time right now. It's a it's a yeah. A different sort of thing but uh but yeah but that but i would think that people who would be into myself would understand yeah. of course i'm going to be asking for masks and vaccines of course i am <laughs> so yeah no it didn't surprise me at all um i i don't play magic uh but i did get to complete a bucket list item that i didn't know i had and i wrote an official magic of the gathering short fiction piece oh, no kidding. for like a for one of the cards Oh, I wonder if I read it. Wait, a short fiction piece. Uh, yeah, like, it was like, like it's published. It's so it's. I didn't write the the teaser text at the bottom of a card. The flavor text. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It, it shows okay. that I haven't played in a long time. <laughs> I played when I was in middle school, and yeah, um, yeah, and I haven't played since. But I I was really excited to impress middle school me by um, getting to write official Magic the Gathering. Yeah, that's content. cool. That's super cool. Okay, so I I want to get the one fangirl thing out of the way before we start on the story, right. which is that um. Some of your songs about desperate hope are the reason that some of my friends are alive. So uh, I, I have a shtick. Well, my pleasure, but I have a shtick about that that I, mm -hmm. I usually have to deliver individually, and I'm happy to broadcast <laughs> it a little further. Sure. I like I wrote stuff that's useful, right? Mm -hmm. But I really strongly resist the notion that that then I get any credit for doing anything besides something I was going to do anyway. Right. I didn't yeah. reach out and touch anybody. Right. Yeah. I just did a thing that I hope was useful and it, it, that I have a desire to be useful. That's maybe commendable. I don't yeah. go further than commendable. Right. Uh, the notion that I'm <laughs> special in any way for doing that. Yeah. Absolutely not. Right. Uh, I think right now and, and people, those of us who are weirder 
I think, started doing a sort of mock uh, celebrity fetishization about 20 or 30 years ago that now has has absolutely blossomed into any person I like is expected to be perfect. And I think mm -hmm. they are perfect because they did work that I like. I yeah. think all that's toxic, right? Yeah. I should be understood as a person with the same terrible body smells as everybody else, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, and, and the same flaws as anybody else. So, so I didn't save anybody, but okay. I'm extraordinarily grateful that the stuff I did was useful to them because the fact of the matter is, if a piece of art saved your life, no, it didn't. You used it yeah. for that function. Right. Yeah. I think it's a super important distinction. The piece of art can't do anything by itself. It's useless. Yeah. Right. It's only useful when a person cracks it open, like a person breaking an egg. An egg isn't nutritious until you break it and I mean you can eat it raw, but, but <laughs> break it and do something with it. Right. Yeah. Otherwise it's just sitting there. It can't yeah. be praised as anything. And so so that's a shtick that I go into. Okay. It's like I'm very yeah. grateful for the news, but I always want people to know you did that. Yeah. I didn't really do any. I mean, I did something. I, I, I'm glad I, I made a thing that's cool and useful. Yeah. But like, I never, I have been saved from freezing to death by being inside the house that I'm in. But I'm never going to look up the architect and tell him, hey, man, you know, you saved my <laughs> life. I was going to freeze otherwise. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, like, okay. You know what I mean? Okay. It's like, but but I'm super glad that he, that he built the house. So it's, and that sounds really defensive, but it's because no, it's no. important to me because I think that when we idolize, we do ourselves and our politics an incredible disservice, right? Yeah. That, that we should we should understand that that every step toward idolization is to be heavily interrogated. Yeah. It's one of my big things. So No, no, that makes sense. And it's like, but we can be grateful that architects build houses because we need houses to stay warm in. And like, so in some ways it's just like I, I use that as this is one of the reasons that art matters, you know? Um Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So. Uh I, I don't look. My darkest hour, uh, in recent memory, anyway, a decade or so ago, I spent listening to the same Amy Grant song over and over again. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was always Rich Mullins song that she sang. And when I saw her live, I, just the sight of her, you know, then that's iconic. That's literally, you know, that's what I iconography is, is that like a person comes to represent a series of experiences and values and moments for you. But it's important for us to remember that the icon doesn't actually have the power you put the power into the icon. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think about this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell and I'm glad though. You know, it's like, that's why I can tell, I feel safer telling you that than someone who's like, oh yes, I am the savior, you know? Um, so. Well, I mean, the thing is, I think it's something anybody who makes anything, including podcasts, yeah. uh, reckons with eventually is like, what do you say to somebody who, I mean, who, who thinks, you know, you saved my life. Oh, I did not. If I gave you CPR, then I saved your fucking life. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can yeah. say that to me. But songs aren't CPR. They are yeah. they are pieces of work that the listener then elects or does not elect to find what's already inside yeah. themselves, right? And I think that's so important to say that I'm willing to do 10 minutes on <laughs> the subject every time every time somebody tells me that my stuff is useful to them because because I do think the way that we contextualize art and artists remains profoundly unhealthy and bad. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Even though I benefit from that in every yeah. way. It's like people, people, you know, I mean, and it's understandable because your viewers can't, or your listeners can't see, but like my hair is genuinely iconic at this point and like, and well, yeah, could clearly, actually probably yeah. mm -hmm. save people's lives. Just, I mean, it's so, oh, it's astonishing. I, well, it's really good. Out. Everyone should go out and see this tour just they, to see oh, yeah. John's Well, hair. the thing is I actually have to have it trimmed on Friday or Thursday. And I'm really oh, hoping it's not too, it's what's well, so thick. It's yeah. just, I mean, 
Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> That's what I thought this podcast was about. Cool yeah, yeah, no, cool about, things. Uh, like me hair. for growing out my hair. So anyway. yeah. Um, well, I don't know about the hair length of today's heroes, unfortunately, because there wasn't a lot of photography around in uh, the Civil War era England. But that's right. What years are we talking about here? So today we're going to be talking about some of the many groups in history who have used religion as their impetus to do cool things uh, like right. treat people as equals, fight against the formation of capitalism as we understand it today, because we're going to talk about the English Civil War of the 1640s and 50s, but not in a battle to battle, blow to blow kind of way, which if people are into, they can go find that content. That's great. Um, but I instead, I want to talk about all of the weird religious and social movements that popped up during that time. Okay. They, they're the forebearers of everything from Western style democratic republics to anarchism and socialism to environmentalism to free love. And so we're going to talk about the levelers, the diggers, and the ranters. All right. You heard of these folks? I have. Uh, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not super conversant. I, I wouldn't be able oh. to give you any introductory remarks on them, but I've heard of it, especially yeah, the yeah. diggers are known. I think, don't the diggers uh, prefigure the wobblies at some point? Don't the wobblies look back to the diggers? You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all because they're doing fairly similar stuff um, in a lot of ways. But I, I don't specifically know of the connection, although they do have similarly funny names. And then one of the things that I learned by doing this is that well, we'll get into this, but no one gets to name themselves in this time period. Everyone gets names <laughs> they don't want. But, you know, I'm kind of for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so when I was a kid and I was learning U.S. history, I always learned about the Puritans, right? The This poor, oppressed minority that fled England, presumably fearing for their lives or some shit, and then, or at least were searching for religious freedom. But what, one of the things that I didn't learn was that one of the main religious freedoms that a lot of the Puritans wanted was the freedom to not let other people practice their own religions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And one of their biggest problems with the English king was that the English king was too religiously tolerant. Yeah. Now, isn't so like when we think about the Puritans, it's interesting because, you know, I think the image of the Mayflower and of the early colonies, you know, we're all smart enough to know that these were people displacing Native Americans violently and so forth. But but beyond that, aren't the aren't the witch hunters? Aren't they Puritans? Right? Yeah, yeah, They're, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, also Catholics, and but yeah, extraordinarily violent people. Well, Catholics yeah. though were were pretty marginalized. Oh, this is early... still in England. Oh, well, yeah, well, actually, yeah, 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 they weren't in Scotland. I think the I actually don't know as much about the Catholic part of the witch hunt in, on the British Isles, but I think in Scotland they were up to it, but I'm not sure. Yeah, no, the Puritans. They also uh, I actually cut this whole part of the script out because it was too long. But they, they, the first thing they did when they came to power in England. Oh, that's the other thing is they don't tell us that the Puritans actually came to power. That's how oppressed they were, is that they very quickly after deposed the king. This is the whole English Civil War is about, is the Puritans <laughs> overthrowing the king and creating a Puritan society and outlawing Christmas. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I mean, Christmas... <laughs> Christmas is weird anyway, right? So, very <laughs> pagan. Not, yeah, I'm not. I'm not that mad at people at, at Christians going. Look, you know, this is <laughs> this is not actually what it's about. And I enjoy Christmas, but I get where yeah. they're coming from. So. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So, the in the midst of all this upheaval, right? Um, you've got genuinely cool people did some genuinely cool stuff, which is the name of the podcast. So that's my focus on. Um, and But before I can talk about today's heroes too much, I have to introduce the English Civil War, or what's properly more properly known as the War of Three Kingdoms, since it drags Ireland and Scotland down with it too. 
There's three of them. They're really close together, three different English civil wars, and then all of these other wars that happen. And, and they ended up fascinating, not in any of the ways that I expected them to be fascinating when I first started researching this. Uh, no one who's listening to this will be surprised to know that I'm not personally a big fan of monarchy. Um, so I, my initial assumption anytime I hear about people overthrowing a king is, well, I'm on that side, the side that's overthrowing the king. And the shortest way to describe the English Civil Wars are England didn't want a king anymore, so they got rid of their king by killing him. And it sounds good to me, right, so far. But it ends up way messier than that. So in the mid-17th century, England had a king, Charles I, and he was supposed to have a parliament that let other people have a say in decision-making that he could call up every now and then to call them up and have them pass taxes and things like that. Parliament had been around for since the 13th century, but Charles I didn't like other people telling him what to do, so he just dissolved Parliament. He just didn't call it for 11 years, from 1629 to 1640. So he had no way to call for a tax. So he started doing all of these other tricky things to try and get money, which just ended up pissing everyone off. He would do things like he would fine everyone who missed his coronation in order to get money from them. I mean, I, I do that, too. Yeah. OK, well, um, I shouldn't tell you about missing your coronation. Then uh, <laughs> speaking of putting artists on pets, um, you know, if you don't show up for the coronation, I, I, you know, I can't really be held responsible for my behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone has to buy a mountain goats ticket, whether or not they're coming. I think that isn't that the way that your tour it seems works? fair to me. It's fair. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK, but the other thing that you should do is that you should charge people money for not building boats. Um, because I believe everyone is obliged to build boats and give them to you, even if they live in landlocked areas. And so that was the other thing he did is he would charge people weird. He basically found every single loophole to try and make people have to give him money. He sold monopolies to various people and which, of course, like jacked up the prices for different commodities, pisses everyone off. He claims a ton of land as royal forest and then turns around and sells it off or finds people for using it. And he just. He's, he's not so good, right? Right. And then Scotland invades England over some religious shit. Our king didn't have enough money for war. So he caves in and he calls a parliament. Parliament is like, well, we want more power. King's like, I don't want to give you power. So they go to war. Parliament and the king against each other. The first civil war is 1642 to 1646. Most of England wanted to stay the fuck out of this war. Like most of the people in England wanted to stay the fuck out of this war. Because it was a war basically between the nobility supporting the king and then the rich who were supporting parliament. And most people weren't nobility or rich. One of my favorite groups that came out of this that I want to know more about, there's this group called the Clubmen. And they formed all over England to try and protect themselves and protect their communities from the rape and pillage and slaughter and all the terrible stuff that armies do. Uh, and so these people basically formed to like protect their communities while they tried to stay hell out of the hell out of this war. Thousands of them fought tooth and nail with like cudgels and scythes against professional soldiers. And I, I want to know more about them and one day do an episode about them, but that's all I know about them to say. Overall, the King is more populist and the rural areas supported him while the middle classes in the city supported parliament. The King loses, he gets thrown in jail. So that's civil war one, but that's not enough civil wars for them. So in 1848, the king from captivity, he talks the Scots into invading England again to put him back on the throne. He loses again. 
And this time Parliament's like, look, we tried throwing you in jail and you still managed to invade us. So we're going to kill you. So they, they killed the king. And this is a very big deal. Later, all of these people get in a lot of trouble for regicide. His kid. It's literally hmm? impossible to hear the word regicide without remembering a Simpsons bit. Do you know this one? No, please tell it to me. You don't know this one? <laughs> Where they're calling like 911 and, uh -huh. and they get a, and they get a, um, they get a voice menu. Like mm -hmm. to, if, if you, if you know the name of the crime being committed, please press, right? And they're mashing <laughs> buttons. Like they need to get through this emergency. They hit a button and the voice is, you have selected regicide. If you know the name of the king or queen being reposed, press one. <laughs> I can never hear regicide without thinking of that. I now I'm just imagining Homer or whoever being like, Charles the first, Charles the first. I, I feel like it might be the episode, it probably hasn't aged well, where Homer uh, gains too much weight to, to go to the office and he's working from home, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, yep, that wouldn't age well. <laughs> um, okay, so, so after uh, Homer reports that Charles the first has been killed. Charles the <laughs> second, uh, who I guess might be Bart in this particular story, he says, well, I guess I'm the king now, right? And so right. back to war we go. English, I think this is, yeah, Civil War three, And the Scots and the Irish are on the king's side because overall he's a little bit more sympathetic to the Catholics and stuff. Um, and the Scots are a little bit more split religiously. The Highland, the Highland Scots are more Catholic. The Lowland Scots are more Protestant. And there's all kinds of stuff I do not understand about what's going on in Scotland at this time. I've spent... Yeah, this stuff is incredibly complicated. I know yeah. whenever historical novels that have this uh, as a background, just getting the basics into yeah. your skull, the stuff that you sort of have to have, you know, uh, that you have to have at the ready yeah. is really hard. So. Yeah, I, I've spent so much time listening and reading about this part of it. And I'm just kind of in the end, I was like, Got it. The Highland Scots are Catholic and the Lowland Scots are Protestant. And that's as far as I can. Well, the other thing that's funny is like, so if you read mm -hmm. fantasy novels or anything like that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, it's clearly people who are into this kind of thing. Oh, go, yeah. Okay, look, you must want to have to memorize a bunch of, a bunch of have at the ready details before any story happens. You're going to yeah. want to, you must be a person who likes that. Yeah. <laughs> And then when I when I write fantasy, I try to actually be able to drop the writer, the reader directly in uh, instead of the like 500 pages of context before we get into it. <laughs> and so that's how I ended up with this script where I'm like, look, I don't know. Scotland's a fucking mess, you know. <laughs> so since the Irish are fighting for the king, the parliamentary army invades and genocides Ireland, one of two, at least two genocides that England pulls in. Ireland over the centuries. And because Ireland had gotten kind of independent during the civil wars, the Catholics were in charge. Oliver Cromwell, he's in charge of the parliamentarians. He invades with his army called the New Model Army, which makes me really sad because I don't know if you know this band, New Model Army. I 100% new remember New Model Army. They were from back in the, uh, the 80s. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're still around though. I think still the guy's still doing the thing. So yeah, they are. And they're, they're some of my favorite musicians. And I always figured they were named after something really cool. And uh, there were parts of the New Model Army that were really cool, especially from an English point of view. But from an Irish point of view, they um, <laughs> they killed somewhere between 20 and 40 percent of the Irish population. Man, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, but some of the but we'll talk about the good New Model Army people in this episode. So uh, to try and reclaim it'd be like if mountain goats came and killed everyone, you know, it's just it's no good. So 
Cromwell just, he storms around Ireland and he murders whole towns in order to restore Protestant and therefore directly colonial rule um, of Ireland. And he does it to try and stop Ireland from supporting the royalists, but he's also doing it because he kind of just fucking hates Catholics. And also he has to rob all the Catholic landowners in order to pay everyone in the army and like support his whole war. He basically has to go rob Ireland. I don't know. Not my favorite guy. And anyone who had supported an independent Ireland had their property sold off. Catholic, even Catholic landowners who tried to stay neutral, they wanted to side with their class interests instead of their, you know, national interests or their whatever, uh, their religious and cultural interests. They get their property sold off literally just for being Catholics. Catholics were forced to go live only in Western Ireland and bounties were put on priests' head. They were executed. And on this site. is, you're talking about this is, Post eighteen forty eight, you're saying, right? This no, is no, like no. This the is middle. This is way before the potato genocide. Oh, so uh, this what, is sixteen forties. This is oh, this sixteen forties. Okay. Yeah, this is during the English yeah. Civil War. Yeah, and one of the things that I found that kind of confused me, or I, I kind of, so after Cromwell wins, about thirty thousand Irish people keep fighting as guerrilla fighters against the English, and the name of this group are the Tories, because right. it's an it's an Irish word that means outlaw or pursuer and then of course later this gets turned into the word for right-wing english people <laughs> um because they were softer on catholicism and i think basically people were like and in insulting them by basically being like you're a you know irish bog dweller or you bastard or whatever you know mm. it's so it's just it's so interesting that like uh, what we i mean loosely uk british isles politics mm -hmm are so, they feel so much more complex to me yeah. than, uh, th than ours, which are also, they have their own complexities, but like the amount of stuff you have to keep track of is pretty intense. Yeah, and that's why I'm trying to like run through context. This is the, yeah, it, the which side is, you know, and a lot of it doesn't even map to right and left very well, right? Because again, you have this like pro-democracy movement who then turns around and, you know, cements the colonization and, and tries to genocide Ireland and shit, so... Yeah, the English, they start destroying all the civilian food supplies and the burning crops in order to get rid of these guerrilla fighters. They kill everyone who's suspected of helping them. Famine spread. The bubonic plague breaks out again. Uh, whole sections of Ireland get declared free fire zones by the British where literally anyone they see they're allowed to kill. And and in the end, Charles II loses the third English Civil War. So he fucks off to France, which is a classic I'm a king and lost move in, in history. Right. Um, and something like this, and these wars are incredibly destructive in England, right? Like something like 4% of the total population of England dies in this war, which is proportionally twice as many as English folks died in uh, World War I, which in turn was about twice as many as World War II proportionately. But Ireland, of course are the actual big losers of this civil war. Uh, because at the time, people said it was 40% 40, uh, 40 of the Irish population. Later, historians have figured out that it was probably only 20% of the Irish population uh, that was killed. Yeah, I mean, this is a bonkers amount of death. People can't really conceive of that. You know, it's... it's uh, Yeah. There's a lot of moments in history that are like that. Uh, and they're, it's very sobering to name them that, like, you know, uh, 75 through 79 in Cambodia, so, yeah. you know, times when incredible numbers of the population died. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. It's, it's hard for me to wrap my head around because it's just, it's too big a, it's too big a percent. I just can't imagine it, you know? But 
but England wins, you know, the, the, the parliament wins, they get a republic for a little while, which is very quickly followed by a protectorate because Cromwell ends up the Lord Protector, which is, I, I swear I'm not a king role. Uh, even though right. he basically serves as a monarch, his main accountability is to the army in a classic kind of right-wing coup kind of way. And he divides England into military districts who are ruled by generals who are answerable only to him. The one good thing, sort of, that he did, right? He, he unbanishes Jews from England because the Jewish people have been banned from England for a couple hundred years at this point. Right. And, but he did it so that he could convert them to Christianity in order to bring on the end times, according to some biblical prophecy about making Jews into Christians to bring on the end times. Which, I don't know, reminds me of like, I didn't pay enough of attention to it, but like, I think it was like Bush Jr. was like into doing a lot of Middle East politics in order to bring on the end times. I don't know if that was a rumor I heard. I'm not sure. but So that's a thing that people say about, I think that's dispensationalism. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Uh, that's the thing that people say about, about these guys. Certainly a lot of them preach it, uh, that sort of thing. I am not persuaded that that many of them really actually believe it. Okay. Uh, uh, I think, and some do, there's true believers around there, but, um, but, uh, but yeah, wh whether people actually believe that or whether it's a good tool for raising a lot of money, right. Yeah. And for sort of, uh, yeah, totally for sort of, yeah, for getting, for getting people to be engaged who don't know any better. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think sometimes the people up the top do things very cynically in order to, you know, uh, motivate religious yeah. fervor or whatever but speaking of raising a lot of money uh this this show is supported by ads and i'm trying to push for all of our shows to be sponsored only by wholesome concepts and so uh, we haven't totally succeeded yet but i'm really excited about for example this podcast being supported by the concept of potatoes just not not an individual brand not not anything wait, like that wait 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 wait, wait. Mm -hmm. the show is supported by the concept of potatoes yeah that's my plan yeah i'm trying to work on on getting uh, potato money i love this concept yeah i'm very into this okay so i'm wondering if you have any additional suggestions about uh, sponsors that are entirely wholesome and are not actual existent products that you would like to be sponsored by uh i mean i think about this sort of thing a lot is i, I mm -hmm. used to, to you know sponsored by goodness or sponsored by books mm -hmm. Ooh, books <laughs> is good so books can we be, be sponsored by books of course we can be sponsored by books who wouldn't want to be sponsored by books? Yeah. I like it. All right. Well, this podcast is proudly supported by the concept of books. Uh, it doesn't matter whether they're audio books or ebooks or uh, books that someone else reads to you or books you read by yourself. Books, as well as these other products and services. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. 
for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, and we are back and we are talking about a whole bunch of fuckery in England. What is your discipline? What is this your day job or do you, are you a professor or what do you do? Me personally? You personally. Uh I am this is I work at a nonprofit that has nothing to do with any of this and I do this professionally and I have no background in history. I uh I'm a fiction writer basically. You do fiction. So I I was mm-hmm. curious like like um did you do you have a BA? Did you go, did you go to undergrad? No, I, I went to art school for two years and dropped out. Oh, art school. Okay, yeah. Yeah. It's like I feel like you have a passion for history, right? It's like it's very clear. It's like I also don't think you have to be an academic to, yeah. to be that. But I'm actually more interested by that because um, you're you're American, right? You're mm-hmm. from you're yeah. from here, right? Yeah. I mean, as you probably have noticed, most Americans, myself included, are really incredibly ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> as as, yeah. As far as history goes, you know, you get a little further. I mean. Americans will believe almost anything about history. So, whereas if you read French literature, mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, and, and of course you have to solve for, okay, well, you're reading novelists there, right? And so that, that's it's a subset. It's not mm-hmm. every French person, obviously, you know, but but the the stuff that it is assumed you would know if you're bothering to read the book, right? Yeah. Um, on practically any French book you grab is considerably broader than you know yeah pretty much any uh english language book you'd buy written by an american there's it's assumed that like well if, if i will explain the history to you if you need to know it right yeah. whereas if you read a bunch of french novels if you don't already know the stuff they're not going to throw you a, an oh. or you know it's all right <laughs> yeah so i'm interested by that uh that i think it's i think it's good for lay people right for non-academics yeah. to say doing history is is cool and fun right so well yeah that was actually kind of I mean, I didn't care about history when I was a kid, right? And I didn't care about history until I kind of got more politically engaged because then I suddenly had a a side I'm rooting for. And it's usually like whatever populist revolt or whatever the anarchists are doing or whatever the the people trying to make people more free and oppress each other less, right? I suddenly right. was like, oh, now I see history as this like the grandest story ever told with like all of these interweaving pieces, you know, like it. It, it makes Game of Thrones look like nothing, right? Right. You know, and and so now I really care about it. And then I kind of also have this, uh, maybe almost more than I should. I kind of have this like, why are history books boring? The the stuff in them is really interesting. Right. And I think it's because I don't have this uh, academic background where I like I don't necessarily know how to engage. You know, you know, it, it took it. History books didn't always engage me. Some of them do. Some of them are incredibly well written and engaging, but 
Sure, no, but many of them are hard to follow. I, I, yeah. I it's one of those things. It's like it's like with any any harder science sort of discipline. It's like it's actually really good and important if you learn about it. <laughs> and yeah. So and you will get a lot of pleasure, but it's not the but it also doesn't give you the pleasure at initially unless you're already hardwired that way, right? Yeah, totally. I think I think Margaret's ability to like write fiction in such a beautiful way has made her nonfiction history podcast have a little bit of like that magic in it, that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. little bit of that sparkle. And I, I think that's why the show works so well is because of Margaret. cool. Margaret's like writing is just so like you feel like you're there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. Margaret got a compliment and didn't know how to. I know. It was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably on that. We're joking that there's like a, a cool people did cool stuff bingo card for the shit that comes up over and yeah. over again. Yeah, Mar um, Margaret complimented in freezing. Should definitely be yeah. a spot. <laughs> yeah. Also, me not getting any pop culture references. That's a, that's a really big one. So, John, if you ever want to make pop culture references that go over my head, feel free. You got, so you got, got the them. wrong guy. I I, I, a, I was I, I got uh, I got a, a what from a friend of mine who said, "Well, you're talking about Jaws." I was like, "No, I haven't seen it." You know. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've seen Jaws. I think I've at least seen excerpts from Jaws. Um, but, but I think the fact that I would come up with when I would think of pop culture, I would also think about movies from decades ago. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I haven't seen any of them. I haven't. Uh, yeah. uh, the only Star Wars I've seen is the first one. Uh, oh wow! So. Oh no, that wait. Then my gaming group took me to see Rogue One, so I also saw that one. Okay, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of they're okay. I enjoy them. So funny. <laughs> but what I wish there was is I want to build, you know, why isn't there a fan culture around the levelers? That's what I want to get to. So, well, there is, but it's not. It, it, so that's what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. There, there is such a fan culture, but it doesn't, it doesn't generally feature people who are going to be doing the sort of standing, right? The sort of yeah. elevating figures into the Ezio. Like you, when you're a mm -hmm. teenager and you say, oh, so-and-so, David Bowie is a literally perfect human being. You say things like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, these are absurd things to say about anyone, yeah. right? But but it, the people who get into the, the diggers, the wobblies, whoever, right? Yeah. Uh, tend not to be the people who are, because they're into history, yeah. they know better than to over-elevate. Now, I think it's also the case that I, I sort of feel like that's not true of all there, there's certainly a lot of political standhood, and I'm not gonna I'm gonna step mm -hmm. at anything here, but like, you know. <laughs> You know, people who are who are apologists for figures who may have meant very well, right. and who may have actually done a lot of good, but who may have also done a number of monstrous things. Right. And I, you know, those of us who lean very far to the left, like myself, yeah. often have a lot of friends who will say so and so on balance is good, and you go, well, I don't know if on balance is good is a, a good way of just so so and yeah, so on balance totally. did a lot of good. That's as far as I'm generally willing to go with anybody. Right? Yeah. So. Totally. Uh, you know, but there's so much, there's so much sort of uh, 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 stand culture stuff uh, done about saying, you know, about yeah. putting people's faces on T-shirts and so forth. And uh, yeah. and I think the the movements that you're talking about don't lend themselves well to that, in part because the people right really were kind of grubby, right? <laughs> yeah, like, which I love. Uh -huh. You know, it's really good. So yeah, no, totally. I I, I agree with you. That's what I got. <laughs> so okay, so and one of the things I like about the English Civil War. Is, okay, so when I first heard about it, killing kings, good, I'm happy, I like the parliament. Then I learned more about it, and then I said, 
genociding the Irish where my family come from bad. I don't like them anymore. But it doesn't mean I like the king either. And so what I've learned, and, and one of the things I get really excited about is realizing that even within these two sides of a war, there's actually cultures and people on both sides who are actually kind of interesting. And I'm not trying to both, well, actually, I guess I am trying to both sides a stupid war. You know, both sides of it sucked is, is where I'm at on the English Civil War. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I don't think mm-hmm. I want to say yeah. the fact that dumb dudes uh, and, 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 mm-hmm. uh, and people with a real political agenda about it have given a bad name to trying to see both sides of something. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but they do so in 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 bad faith. Right. They, they, yeah. they both sides things in order to to distract you and take you away from your point. But when we're doing history, you have to look at all all angles. It's not about sides because the notion that yeah. there are sides. I mean, there are sides eventually, I guess. But like, uh, you know, I would I would hope that a lot of the work we're doing right now on on thinking about gender and sex would help mm-hmm. us to also divest ourselves of all our binary assumptions. Right. Of, yeah. of insisting that on sides instead of angles. Right. Uh, because, uh, because there's a lot of angles. People have a lot of interests. People act for yeah. a lot of different reasons. And how we describe that is how we do history, right? If we describe yeah. things in terms of Tolstoy talks a lot about this at the end of War and Peace about great man theory versus mm-hmm. I mean, according to Tolstoy, there is no no great man ever did a goddamn thing. Right? It's yeah. all just the people down in the trenches doing stuff according yeah. to how hungry they were that day. And uh, and the great man is sort of the guy who happens to be there at the time, right? And he's and he's ruthless about this. He spends a hundred yeah. pages on this, uh, but uh, but that's one way of thinking about it. There's other people, fascists, who who think no, no, it's a powerful man always, right? Yeah. Who um, who whose will is able to impose on the people, and this is Machiavelli, right? Uh, yeah. And these kinds of people. Um, I don't know what my jumping off point was here. I can never remember where I started talking about stuff. But no, uh, no, no. But this is. Well, okay, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One is that Tolstoy is also on this bingo card because he comes up constantly. Um, yeah, because well, he's, he's a really important figure uh, in yeah, that entire century. So Yeah, and it's just like whenever you talk, and it, the other one is Quakers, and this episode was yes. only going to have Quakers and no Tolstoy, but now it has yeah. Tolstoy. So I appreciate you bringing that in. It's my, I will, the thing is, I, I only finished War and Peace a month ago, and I will, I'm happy to drag Tolstoy in anywhere and everywhere always. You know, <laughs> rely on me as the Tolstoy guy. All right. Um, Okay, so the side that I find interesting in, well, there's a bunch of sides I find interesting on the parliamentarian side. And the the main one are the levelers. The levelers are this huge chunk of the revolutionary army, and their goal is not to create this uh, authoritarian dictatorship under Cromwell. Their goal is to have a full-on democratic republic. That is what they're for. Why, Why are they called the levelers? So they are called the levelers, it's a misnaming. It's an right. insult name that they get given because okay. the one thing that they don't want to do, which is why they're not as cool as the diggers who we'll get to later, the diggers actually do want to get called the levelers. Anyway, no one gets called what they want in England. Uh, right. You mentioned so, this earlier. Yeah. No, I actually, I even uh, yesterday was like chatting with my English friend being like, is this true? Is it? Anyway. Um, so the levelers get called the levelers because theoretically God is the great leveler who will uh, bring right. up the poor and bring down the rich. And but the levelers, the people who get called the levelers, did not actually want to create economic equality, only political equality. Right. And so they wanted a political revolution, not a social revolution, basically. Um, they wanted to get called the agitators. But they got named after some people that I'm going to get to in a moment who I'm really excited to tell you about, who are the original levelers. Okay, so. Uh, and then one of the things that I think is really interesting about learning about this time period is that 
I'm looking at it with this very political lens looking back, and I think of things very secularly, right? Like I'm not a I'm not an atheist, I'm somewhere in the agnostic right. I, I, I contain multitudes about all this stuff, right? But but these people are absolutely coming at all of this theologically, right? Everything is rooted in theology, all of the different sides in these battles. Um and you know, so instead of just focusing on how property should be distributed, who should rule, whatever. It all has this religious back background, and I, I can't necessarily do service to that because I, I'm not incredibly theologically versed. But I just I always feel like it's worth pointing out whenever you talk about medieval European stuff. Is you, it's about theology even when you wouldn't realize it. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I would mm -hmm. I would actually argue that that's still true. Uh. Uh. Even even in the post uh, Dover Beach, you know this poem Dover Beach. I don't. Oh well, I'm going to I'm going to take over for a second here. Yeah, yeah, please uh, do. Uh, the super important poem uh, for the the modern era for where we're at. Okay. Um, uh, it's by Matthew Arnold, uh, who's who's good generally, but uh, but the, but this is sort of the the signal Matthew Arnold poem, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, okay. Dover Dover Beach. The sea is calm tonight. The tide is full. The moon lies fair upon the straits. On the French coast, the light gleams and is gone. The cliffs of England stand, glimmering and vast, out in the tranquil bay. Come to the window, sweet is the night air. Only, from the long line of spray, where the sea meets the moon-blanched land, listen. You hear the grating roar of pebbles, which the waves draw back and fling at their return up the high strand, begin and cease, and then again begin, with tremulous cadence, slow, and bring the eternal note of sadness in. Sophocles, long ago, heard it on the Aegean, and it brought into his mind the turbid ebb and flow of human misery. We find also in the sound a thought, hearing it by this distant northern sea. The sea of faith was once, too, at the full, and round earth's shore lay like the folds of a bright girdle furled. But now I only hear its melancholy, long, withdrawing roar, retreating to the breath of the night wind, down the vast edges drear and naked shingles of the world. Ah, love, let us be true to one another, for the world which seems to lie before us like a land of dreams, so various, so beautiful, so new, hath really neither joy, nor love, nor light, nor certitude, nor peace, nor help for pain. And we are here, as on a darkling plain, swept with confused alarms of struggle and flight, where ignorant armies clash by night. Yeah. So that's Dover Beach, right? And Dover yeah. Beach is specifically about uh, the vacuum left by by the receding of of ecclesiastical authority, right? Okay. Uh, of, of faith, right? Faith is not being described the way we as Americans we all think of my individual faith, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but that's a very uh, a very very modern way of having faith, right? Okay. Faith faith is is communal and. I have a big long shtick about this. If you ever want to get into this, <laughs> uh, about how the notion of individual salvation in Christianity is nonsense, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And and that Jesus would tell you so. Uh, 
that's not about you having a personal savior. It's about all of us getting saved. Um, and that this is, this is not a radical reading. This is like, yeah, it's how, it's how the disciples would have thought of it. They weren't looking for a personal savior, but, uh, but yeah. So when the sea of faith recedes as, as Matthew Arnold notices in the 19th century, right? That's an old poem. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, when the sea of faith recedes, there's not a lot left to take its place, right? Mm -hmm. Now, this is what fascists also say is like, well, in the absence of religious authority, right? People act badly, but it's not that, it's that they don't have much to believe in, right? It's that right. they don't, it, it's hard to, and you do, you, I think Poison said it best. <laughs> we, we need something to believe in, right? It's like, it's true. If you haven't got any faith in anything, uh, then then you become cynical at best, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and nihilistic at worst, even though, you know, I can respect a good nihilist at the end of the day, but, uh, right. but I, again, I forget what my jumping off point was, but I always am looking for an opening for Dover beach. No, no, no. And actually for anyone who's listening, this is, this is literally why I had John come on for this episode <laughs> is I was like, I'm going to talk about absolutely some of my favorite, like religious radicals, you know, um, actually there's a lot of really cool religious radicals, but I was like, oh, yeah. I, I don't know. This is this is why I picked John for this episode. Well, I'm glad. So thank you. <laughs> no, I do have I do have signal texts on any subject about uh, growing of faith or loss of faith or destruction of communities of faith. I yeah. can reach. I can keep reaching <laughs> for books all day. So. Okay, so so I have another question though. Is so when I whenever I read about a story about someone in history named Margaret, I get very excited. Do you have any of the same built-in solidarity towards John's, or is it too common of a name? No, I don't care. Uh, okay. I, I uh, you know. Uh, uh, no, I, <laughs> I, don't, okay. I don't. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's, somebody's, it makes sense. Somebody named John, it doesn't, doesn't really affect me that much. The, the one mm -hmm. the story I do remember is once my father, uh, uh, who had been, he was a sailor, you know, he was in the merchant marines in the, uh, uh, not, not during, I think maybe during the Second World War, I always lose track of it. But, mm -hmm. but he, at one point, once I was a little bit, I was, you know, I was eight or nine, he said he had to go use the John. And I was old enough and quick enough mm -hmm. to interrupt him mid-word and go bathroom, right? And he thought it was a very funny yeah, yeah. moment between father and son. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you about a, a John, not a bathroom, but a person. Yes. Uh, because the, the people who get called the levelers, they, they, at that point, they actually already existed. They start getting called the levelers in 1647 once uh, the king is deposed. And so they they don't get called the levelers right away. Originally, they're called either the London agents or John Lilburn's supporters. London agents, a very good band name. That's true. Yeah. There's a lot of good band names hanging around because there's also levelers. Well, the levelers, levelers are there is a band yeah. called the levelers. So. Yeah. A new model army. Yeah. So the people who get called the levelers, they want a Republic. I watched one interview where the historian who I'm not going to name, he said the levelers wanted universal suffrage. And the interviewer was like, Oh, so the, so voting voting rights for women, and he was like, "Well, no, they wouldn't have. It wouldn't have occurred to them." And so, universal suffrage for all men. And so they're like, right. "Oh, voting rights for Catholic men," and they're like, "Well, well, no, you well, see." No. <laughs> uh, so, so this is, but this introduces for me the question of historical slack, right? Because uh -huh. I do not ask yeah. my radicals in the 1900s or the 1800s yeah. to suddenly show up on the scene uh, demanding totally. all the things that to us seem self evident. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like. Every everybody who pushes the needle, I give a little credit to. Yeah, and this is why they're in this story, as I like them. But it's worth right. pointing out these these um, these blind spots for them. Oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so so no Catholics uh, suffrage, and then the other one was that servants don't get to vote. Well, um, I mean, 
Well, come but, now. What kind of yeah. radicals are we? You can't. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're servants. <laughs> yeah. And so, <laughs> so they get called It's level so letter. wild, yeah. right? That's the stuff you can't get your head around, right? It's like yeah. how it's, uh, and that's where, you know, you have to, you have to do that math. It's like, you're asking people from the past to, to do all these righteous things. And you, and you want to say, it seemed self-evident to all these people that servants shouldn't vote, right? Yeah. Like, that's the bedrock. If you have that as a communal assumption, it's almost like you have a bunch of people who like believe that there's a monster living in the hills and they and they base all of their actions on the fact that the monster has to be appeased, right? Well, now you would say, look, I know I've seen those hills, there's no monster there, right? Mm -hmm. But but we would say, look, if if they all believe that and act according accordingly, right, then you can't judge their actions based on your knowledge that there's no monster, right? Uh and, and in the same way, it's like, you know, it's very hard to to even understand at all where any of them are coming from because it's so many of their ideas are not just foreign to us, but utterly alien, right? Like alien in a in a in a profound sense. It's just it's I mean, look, having servants is a is a is a hard notion for me to get my head around. It's one reason I can't read um a lot of nineteenth century British fiction, is like I just don't relate. Like I can't I struggle with Jane Austen. Everybody worships Jane Austen, right? Mm -hmm. Uh but here's another of my things nobody ever speaks their mind right i think people fetishize this in 19th century british stuff they go oh that's beautiful okay. the way they're not allowed to speak no <laughs> i can't deal with it you know it's like it's if you read 18th century british fiction people are actually pretty blunt and at some yeah. point in the 19th century they decide they never want to speak directly and you know and also sexuality of any expression at all is completely submerged in a way that i just cannot relate to in any way yeah uh, uh and and all this stuff is so is so alien but but when i read like uh Ivy Compton Burnett, right? She's really aware. She's right in the 20th century and her people have servants, but they don't really, they can't really actually afford servants, right? The servants are often staying on to preserve an old order that has actually passed. And it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, it's like, that's, that's the, that's the past stuff. That's very hard to, it's yeah. always good to remind ourselves that when we're talking about these people, one way of teaching history is to say, well, they were more or less like us. They had different customs. And I would say, no, yeah. <laughs> they weren't. I mean, the thing is, they were not they were not like us, except I also argue aesthetically, generally speaking, they were much more innovative than we give them credit for. Like, yeah. like, like Americans think that the novel was born in the 20th century instead of yeah. in the second century AD. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, and they think that the that the modern novel, the radical novel, was born with Ulysses when actually that was born in the 18th century. Defoe's novels are insane, right? Um, okay. So, uh, <laughs> so in those things, I'm always wanting to give the past more credit, but in other ways, I would say no, they weren't like us at all. It's a completely foreign country, like yeah. it's a foreign planet. Yeah, yeah, and and even just like when you see the the medieval maps of the world, and you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. You're like, well, it actually does make sense because it's cosmological because you have yes. to include the cosmology. Otherwise, the whole map doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it begins with um, a totally different set of assumptions. So. Yeah. And so and so the levelers definitely coming from a different set of assumptions, right? Right. They they get called the levelers derogatorily because it had been used 50 years earlier derogatorily at some of my favorite people in history who are these original levelers who were tearing down land enclosures. See... So England has this long history of the commons or common land, right. which can be used by all kinds of different people, right? You could, you could fish, you could take firewood, you could take sod for fuel, you could right. graze your livestock, you could even mine for minerals on some of the public lands. And they've been doing this for centuries. The entire society was built around it. The word commoner, I think, comes from 
someone who relies on the commons, right? right? And owners of manors were expected to maintain enough commons on their property for the commoners to make use of them. And slowly they started enclosing them. Uh, they fence off the lands. They hold them in private by the owner of the manor. They cut people off of the resources that they relied on. And it, it helps the rich maximize their profit, fuck everyone else. And a lot of people have pointed to this as kind of the, the start of capitalism. And which is not by name, right? Uh, right. But it was about what happened later. Uh, and this is actually where the word landlord comes from, the lord of the manor who owns all the land. Right. Um, and then I looked it up because I was kind of curious. The word capitalism shows up much later. It's coined by, by socialists like uh, Blanqui and Proudhon. Sure, of course. Yeah, it's a way of, it's a way of describing history. Yeah, yeah totally. And, and before capitalism was a word, it was actually a job title. Capitalist, well, it's kind of an opposite job title. There's no actual job. You know, but it was like, what do you do for your living? Oh, I'm a capitalist. I own stuff yeah. that other people use. Right. So anyway, a lot of popular revolt in England is driven by the enclosure of the commons. And one of my favorite ones was a man named Captain Pouch. Yeah. In, in 1607. Oh, actually, I think it might be time for an ad break uh, before I tell you about Captain Pouch. So read a book during the ads instead of listening to them. And here's some ads. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X visit tomboyx.com. Me. Focus features presents back to black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, we're back. So in 1607, you have the Midlands Revolt, which starts in April in Northamptonshire, Shire, I don't know. It spreads from there. The leader... By all accounts. And again, whenever you read this stuff about like the leader in, in history, you're like, was he? Who knows? So there's a tinker named Captain Pouch. And he claims right. that he has a authority from the king and God 
to tear down the enclosures nonviolently and said that the contents of his pouch, which is a magic pouch, would keep everyone who followed him safe from harm. Uh, more than a thousand people, men and women, I think children also, uh, participate in this. And these are probably the original levelers. There might have been people getting called this before. They literally level the hedges that enclose the commons in the name of God, who is the great leveler. Of course, Captain Pouch was, was lying on at least one count. Uh, he was lying about having ki the king's permission. Uh, he may or may not have been lying about the pouch. He certainly, I don't know whether he believed the pouch, but the pouch did not succeed at keeping them all safe. And I can't tell you one way or the other about whether God gave him permission or not. This, really actually, does, sound, this does sound like a science fiction book. This oh, yeah, no, totally. Or a superhero. Uh, so the, the pouch. Yeah, Captain Pouch, the original superhero. He's, he's tearing down hedges and shit. Rich landowners, they have actual permission from the king. They send their servants to fight the crowd. They kill about 50 of them. The landowners have to use their servants to fight the crowd because the local militias and all the gangs and shit wouldn't do it because they were participating in the revolts by and large. And the uprising leader, the, the leaders of the uprising, including Captain Pouch, get hung, drawn, and quartered. And I didn't really know what this meant, and I try not to go into super graphic stuff very often on this show, but I'm going to describe hung, drawn, and quartered uh, because it was worse than I thought it was. Oh, yeah. They, they drag you behind a horse. They hang you till you're almost dead. They disembowel you alive. They make you watch as they burn your entrails. Then they behead you. Then they cut your body into four pieces, and then they send the pieces of your body to the far corners of the country. Yeah, it's super brutal. It's a, uh, I mean, it's another thing yeah. about the past is like yeah. you think, wow, people were real assholes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, and they would, and this, these are public things. People are watching this. Children are seeing this all the time. You know, it's a uh, yeah, yeah. I guess the landowners really like their hedges. You know, don't fuck with my hedge yeah. or what. <laughs> well, again, <laughs> who among us? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Um, so after this execution, they open his pouch. And it contains a small bit of green cheese. <laughs> so it probably didn't keep him safe, except maybe in the like, you know, remembered in history version of safe. I don't know. But it, it might have given him the courage it took to go do these things. I don't know, whatever. And <laughs> my theory, and this is entirely based on me not understanding pop culture, is that Green Lantern might be descended from the green cheese people. Um, <laughs> but I don't know because I don't actually know anything about Green Lantern. But I think he's a lantern that gives him yeah, well, Green Lantern has to say a poem uh, to invoke his powers, which is very cool. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Captain Pouch is Well, I don't definitely... know if he has to say it, but he, but he has a poem anyway, which is great. Yeah. Okay. Then this is definitely Captain Pouch's, the, the ancestor of, of Green Lantern. It's canon. Because um, that's a property that I own. Okay. And so the, the over-the-top executions do not make people happy, right? Public pressure mounts. King James I issues this royal proclamation in June saying he's going to look into reforms. Um I couldn't actually find any information about whether he actually did any of the reforms he said he would do because he was too busy. King, King James got up to a lot. He created Great Britain. He started the English colonization of North America. He was an openly gay king who spent all of his time burning witches and writing books about demons. And it's his translation of the Bible that the King James that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm under the impression this is the one that's used the most often by anti-LGBT bigots. Uh, yeah, I mean, the King James is, it's fetishized and, uh, uh, it's, it's not considered, uh, it's just not, the thing is like, it's beautiful. It's some of the mm -hmm. most beautiful writing in, okay. uh, in the English language. Uh, 
However, uh, much of the translation is there uh, because King James likes the way it sounds. So there's a lot of a lot of bad <laughs> translation, like in terms of the uh, uh, in terms of the meaning. There's a, like there's mm-hmm. a, a lot, of, especially the stuff about servants having to be good and stuff like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that stuff. There's a lot of ways you can treat that stuff in both the Hebrew and the Septuagint. Um, uh, but uh, but the King James style is to is to preserve the rights of the king and so forth. Um, so the King James is like. It's not. It's not the translation you should read if you want to know what the Bible is about. It is, okay. however, one of the most beautiful uh, uh, texts ever written. So okay. No, this, this is good. That's exactly the like. Yeah, I'm, I'm just like, oh, this seems to be the one that my friends tell me is not very accurate. So, um, so the these revolts. This is again before the the main levelers in the English Civil War. These revolts make their way into Shakespeare, who was against land enclosure. He alluded to it unsubtly at least to his audience at the time in henry the sixth part two which i have definitely not read i um i read some shakespeare but i've not read this one uh henry the sixth part two yeah wow no i don't I, i'm pretty yeah, versed in a, shakespeare but i don't know that one <laughs> it's a it's a deep cut so i my theory is that it's actually about um a lantern full of green cheese uh, <laughs> so these are the original levelers rowdy commoners who are upset that about being told that they would have to starve rather than let the rich maximize their profit or whatever. 50 years later, you have the new levelers. They got given the name as an insult. John Lilliburn is one of the leaders, and he preferred the term agitators, which makes sense because they weren't leveling, right? But John Lilliburn was not the sole leader of the levelers. People call him that now because of the great man theory nonsense. But the the movement seemed to coalesce around one of the many campaigns to get him out of jail because he kept getting thrown in jail because he was an obstinate bastard who was actually really cool in many ways, not in other ways. He was the, the second son of Gentry, which is a, a whole thing. He wasn't expecting inheritance. So there's, these second sons were a big source of social unrest. Uh, they're nobility with nothing to lose since uh, primogeniture, which is the system of inheritance that basically says everything goes to the oldest son. This system came over in the 11th century with the Norman conquest because and it because of this system, you didn't have this sort of built-in economic equalizing force where large estates were broken up every time someone died, right? And so it kind of allows feudalism to really take off this system of inheritance. On the other hand, gavelkind secession, which is the kind before it, which is when all heirs, usually sons, get a piece of, of the estate, you have all these wars as everyone tries to like recreate the largest states and shit. So it kind of seems fucked either way, honestly. Yeah. But, but John, you Lilburn, know, this is the thing. Mm-hmm. This is the thing. The line yeah. I keep, the line I keep looking at, it's not hopeful. <laughs> it's, a, it's a Samuel Beckett line. Uh-huh. Uh, you're on earth. There's no cure for that. Right? It's like, I guess sort of feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of collectivist stuff mm-hmm. that, that, that we assume everybody at core shares and then we still mm-hmm. teach and have to sort of behave as if they did. Yeah. Been asking myself a lot of questions about that <laughs> lately, whether actually, actually there's a small bunch of us who, who sort of believe in, in justice. And then a whole yeah. bunch of people who do not give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> who just use the language of it to get whatever they want. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like a large number of them. It's, yeah. it's, it's very, you know, and I, I'm Mr. You know, I'm a Christian. I like, I want to yeah. believe, I do believe that in everybody, God's inside there. Yeah. But I sort of feel like the, and and this is where, you know, like I, I think, I mean, obviously 
to to wave your hand and say late capitalism is sort of very voguish now, but uh, you know, but the ongoing march of capitalism, and I would argue, and and an mm. industrialization, generally yeah. speaking, which like that's a different argument totally. because, but also industrialization is the reason that fewer people starve than used to. Is like if you think yeah. hunger is bad now, you should try some hunger in the twelfth century because yeah. I think there's you know it's like industrialization has helped a lot of people and a lot of good communists understood this right that right that it could be used for the good of the people. But on the other hand, the march of industrialization has resulted in the world that we have, and I don't know how it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So John Lilliburn, he's he's not gonna inherit shit. He goes off to London, he apprentices as a cloth merchant. His first arrest was he was trying to smuggle some banned religious pamphlets into the country that claimed bishops were doing the work of the devil. He refused to acknowledge the court, which also might be a space on this bingo card. The same sh- patterns come up over and over again. A okay, lot of just to people, jump in again, mm-hmm, all the yeah. anti Catholic stuff, the anti bishop mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Like they were good at that then. Like there was, yeah. a, it was a, there was a really good. Whereas now, like one thing that's a source of great frustration for the American right is that they don't mm-hmm. own the Catholic Church, right? And that they can't seem yeah. to get the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church is a lot browner than they like, right? The Catholic Church, yeah. uh, the global South, the Catholic yeah. Church through ill, through horrible means, mind you, but they did, they got that, right? They, right. they, they established churches down there. And now, and then they became radical, right? There's a lot of yeah. radical Catholic priests in, in the history of the last 50, 75 years. Yeah. They, now, when I say radical, are they pro-choice like me? No, they're not, right? right. I have to sort of accept that, you know, but because right. that's the church. But, um, but, they're, but they also are kind of communist, a lot of them. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, and it drives the American right absolutely bonkers that they can't have the Catholic church and they keep thinking there's going to be a schism. <laughs> this is one of the things Steve Bannon mm-hmm. likes to think about a lot because they really would love to have the amount of power and clout that Catholics have, right? So they sort of try and stoke fires of Catholic suspicion, but they at the same time, like, they don't actually want to go full anti-Catholic because there's yeah. just too much power there that they thirst for, right? And if they do too much damage to the brand, then when they get their imagined takeover, which is never going to happen, yeah. uh, uh, then there'd be nothing left of it. It's it's all, I'm an ex-Catholic, so this stuff is really, okay. as soon as I hear about they're coming for the bishops, I go, yeah, you know, it's, I, I, I don't, you know, the anti-Catholic, as we know, humans just seem to want to be dicks to other people, to groups of people, and they, yeah. and they have to figure out what groups they're going to be dicks to today on a given eon or whatever. And and the anti-Catholic stuff is so fascinating. It's like, you know, it's one of those things like, of all people, why are you mad at the Catholics? You know? I know, I know. And like how much of it is in this time period, how much of it is like literally just like, well, we like oppressing the Irish and how much of it is like the, yep. we're afraid Rome's going to invade and we're trying to do our like Church of England thing. And I, yeah. And then, of course, the Puritans. Yeah, well, no, like, I think some of it, I think that's a lot of it is like the, the notion that the Romans, uh, you know, they had a history of conquest and yeah. uh, and maybe the church, well, the church also has a history of conquest, right? So maybe the church, after it finishes colonizing the West, you know, could, yeah. might might come for that. So Yeah. So he gets put in front of court. He refuses to acknowledge the court. And he's just like, and he says, I'm a, a freeborn, no freeborn Englishman should be treated that way. And he, he didn't actually mean it like, I'm freeborn like the people who aren't. He meant it kind of in this, like, we are all freeborn, right? Right. And so the court doesn't like him very much because he won't acknowledge them. So he gets tied to the back of a cart and dragged through the street and lashed 500 times with a knotted leather whip and thrown yeah, in the stocks. And, but he he remains defiant the whole time. The crowd what, what, loves what if, him. Mm-hmm. What if, like, what if I was like, can you tell me more about the whips? 
Like, can you, can you, can we get some more detail? And like, and it was emerging over the course of the conversation that like, that was something I really needed was to hear more about the torture and stuff. Ah, that'd be very Catholic of you. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah. And so, and so the crowd loves him, right? Because he's like the whole time he's like being defiant and, and yelling and giving speeches and he gets thrown in prison for the indefinite sentence of until you obey. And then eventually, love it. Oh yeah, I know. Talking yeah. about the fetishism there. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, eventually, Parliament forms in eighteen forty and frees him. As soon as he's out, he's back in the streets, fighting and protesting and rioting against the king. He's helping lead the London unrest that sends Charles the First fleeing London. At one point, him and a bunch of armed civilians like stare down royalist officers. All this stuff that kind of kicks off the first civil war. Right and. And one of the things that I think about with this person, because he's a little bit all over the map ideologically when you try to map him from current, right? He has a little bit of the like almost right wing founding fathers in him, but he's also very, you know, progressive in other ways and all this different stuff is that he has no political intellectual history to draw from uh, that represents these ideas. This is from an from an English point of view. This is the birthplace of a lot of these ideas, at least as I was able to find. And so he. He basically goes to the Bible and he finds every single egalitarian source in the Bible he can to justify his actions. And he then enlists to overthrow the king. They overthrow the king. He fought in a bunch of battles. He fights in the infantry. Later, he's a dragoon, which is mounted infantry. You get a musket and an axe and a sword and one of the shittiest horses. And you're like sent to go like ride off and then get off your horse and then shoot people. And eventually gets captured while he's trying to rally retreating troops to stand their ground. He's this big war hero, right? And the royalists are going to probably kill him. They're going to try him and probably kill him. But his wife, Elizabeth, who is like, I think like eight months pregnant at the time, she petitions the people in charge of the rebellion to intervene on his behalf. And then she crosses enemy lines by herself, I believe. Or at least, I don't know, maybe she was by herself. Maybe she had people with her, but it implies that she was by herself. She goes through military checkpoints. She shows up and she's like, hey, if you execute my husband, the the rebels are going to kill a bunch of the prisoners. So he's freed. His wife saves his life. Um, and he gets freed in a prisoner exchange. He goes right back to fighting. He gets shot through the arm. This has no impact on his desire to keep fighting. He will fight through any of this. He makes friends with Oliver Cromwell in a made-for-movie friendship that is destined to become a rivalry. And at one point, he asks permission to storm a royalist holding. And they're like, oh, he's like, hey, if we attack, they'll just surrender. And his commanders are like, no, 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 you can't attack. So he attacks anyway. And the holding surrenders without a shot fired. But then he finally quits fighting before the war is over, before it's won. Because the parliamentarians, all of the people in the army were asked to sign a covenant denying freedom of religion. And, you know, they're Puritans, so nothing else should be allowed. And this is too much for him, even though I, th I think he was a Puritan, but he, he, um, he was at least very Protestant, right? And he won't do it. So he refuses to sign his contract and he gets kicked out of the military, even though he's this big war hero and friends with the leader and all that shit. So I like him for this. And then he gets thrown in prison because he denounces the fact that the members of parliament were rich, despite the fact that the commoners were poor. He like later gets thrown in prison again for denouncing his former commander for being an asshole. Um, he basically seemed like he was only happy when he was either like fighting in a war or in prison. Um, his friends make fun of him for being so oppositional that his friends joked, if there were none living but himself, John would be against Lilburn and Lilburn would be against John. 
but I actually think he was reasonably consistent. He just hated all the hypocrites around him, and that's why he's so oppositional. He didn't lead the levelers alone, nor was he particularly in charge. He was up, but he was, and he was a team player, even though he's very oppositional, right? The, the crew of leaders of the levelers was referred to at the time as a collective, and it was not about his ego. Most of the other writer, other uh, leaders were good writers, but John Lilburn was not, apparently. He, he did a lot of it, but this was not his calling. His calling was fighting and, and theology and stuff. And there's one big downside from my point of view. John, have you ever heard the terms uh, brochialist or manarchist before? Uh, I've run across them. I, I haven't, haven't engaged them deeply enough to, to tell you much more about them than that. Yeah, fair enough. This is the energy that John Lilburn brings. Uh, he, his big blind spot is how he treats his wife. Um, every time he's thrown in prison, Elizabeth Lilburn is there fighting for his release and supporting him. And at one point, while he's in exile later, Elizabeth writes to him and says, look, if you could just make friends, if you could just make peace with Cromwell, you could come home, like stop being so obstinate, please come home. And he writes back, instead of writing her back, he writes a public letter calling out his coward wife, who is like the father of like, I think nine of his kids or whatever shit. And I want to live in a time when public letters matter. <laughs> I want to, I want that to actually be something. <laughs> yeah. Well, now we just have the like endless sea of Twitter call outs, you know? Yes. Um, <laughs> and so he he writes this letter that's basically like no one would be worthy of the name of a man indeed man indeed is in all caps who is not morally honest and just in his ways and would therefore you know et cetera et cetera he would never give in uh but thou art but a woman and in that respect but the weaker vessel and therefore i must rationally allow you more grains of imperfection and weakness imperfection and weakness are in all caps and especially since you're pregnant. So that's his public letter to his wife for um, <laughs> saying, please just stop being obstinate and come home. And I, he might have even been right about he should stay obstinate and not come home, right? But it doesn't, sure. doesn't seem like a nice way to treat the woman who's no. saved your life. I agreed. Times. So, and, but the women of the Leveler movement actually did do a lot within the, the kind of context they're within. So you were sort of talking about earlier. They, they ran printing presses, they wrote petitions, they organized amongst themselves, not just like appendages to their husbands. They went to jail, they even occasionally demanded equal rights. They would write petitions, but then they weren't allowed to deliver them. So like their husbands would go and deliver the petitions on behalf of their wives, which is actually kind of cool. And, and their religious beliefs believed in equality between women and men equal before God, so much so that even the Quakers who were like some of the most egalitarian on gender lines at the time actually wrote, they would like complain about the prominence of women and the levelers. Hmm. But they, you know, they challenged, but didn't overthrow gender hierarchy. And after the first war, the levelers really stand out. They had their, uh, they, they basically, they lay out this agreement of the people. It's their idea of a democratic Republic. They get a third of all of London to sign on to this. And they deliver it to parliament being like, we won, we have this thing. Let's do this. Democratic Republic now. And Parliament was like, no, 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 we have power now. So fuck you, go home. And so they get a military dictatorship instead. So he then, John Lilburn goes on this, like, he starts writing all these pamphlets, England's new chains discovered. And he, you know, basically is like, look. We again, who mm -hmm. among us, you know, when you, when you, uh, you go through a big thing, you want to write some pamphlets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the point of doing actions is to write manifestos, I think. Um, yeah. 
Agreed. And strong agree. And so they, so all of their demands, all, well, all of their like, hey, let's have a democratic republic. These are denied, right? But they're all in the military and they just fought to depose a king. So they're not going to stop now and accept a new king. So they revolt and there's mutinies all over the new model army, actually. And this is why I think that there's some good stuff in the new model army. Entire regiments refused to fill, refused orders until a democratic republic would be instated. And most notably, one of the orders that all the levelers refused was go invade Ireland. Um, so I like those ones. I find, that, I find that interesting because Ireland is one of the, there's a lot of countries like this. Ireland's mm -hmm. one, Poland is another, mm -hmm. Vietnam is another, that have been under a state of occupation for so long. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, I, I can't even name how many African countries are like this. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, but places that just sort of seem to be the target of invasion uh, of, of larger regimes, uh, yeah. neighboring or not. Like Poland, you can't even name the number of times Poland was just like occupied by somebody from the east or the west saying, well, no, Poland is actually part of our country uh, with no sound claim on, on it yeah. at all. And the same Vietnam uh, spent most of the 20th century with either the French or whoever yeah. saying, no, no, uh, this is our spot. And, and Ireland has sort of got that, that like it's in this continual state of people telling Ireland that you don't get to be Ireland. Yep. <laughs> it's like so, totally. you know, it's messed up. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I, at one point I was running across in a different episode I was researching. I was like, there's all of these Polish generals and officers who are fighting in all these revolutions in other countries. And my friend explained it to me and was like, well, the thing is, is that you'd have a Polish army and then some fucking country would come fuck it up. And like, and so yeah. all of the, all of the Polish officers kept having to flee. So if you need an officer, they're really experienced and they got nowhere else to go. So you grab yeah. a Polish officer and you get really good officers out of the diaspora of the Polish yeah, army. Yeah, although the other thing is like, like what, what, what kind of effect does that have on a country? Like say, well, Ireland's yeah. actually a very, you know, it's a pretty cool place, generally speaking. Uh, yeah. But, you know, like in, in Poland, the problem of nationalism has been on the rise severely. And, you yeah. know, and, and you think, well, that sort of feels like a, a natural consequence of people constantly telling you that you don't get to def define your own borders is like at some point, you know, you, you say, look, no, no, yeah. I'm defining my borders and I'm going to define them in very harsh terms. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's like it's not it's not a good or a reasonable response, but it's an understandable one, you know. Yeah. And I, and I get most excited by like, you know, folks like, say, the Zapatistas or um, uh, I would say uh, huge chunks of the, the Kurds in northern Syria and stuff who are like, we are an oppressed nationality, but we're going to approach this internationally. Right. Yeah. Um, but I still also am like. No, I I get why the Irish or whatever were like, well, we're Irish nationalists, fuck this, you know, or whatever. Um, and it gets real messy. I'm not trying to defend. Well, especially these given things, if, but... if 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 your if your main experience of these other nations is they're not going to keep their word, you know, they're yeah. not good for it. And so you yeah. sort of go, how about if I have nothing to do with you? It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the Levellers refuse to invade Ireland, and because they don't get a democratic republic, so they refuse orders. And some of them get court-martialed, some of them get executed. I believe that sometimes they would like, they would make the soldiers draw lots, and then the person who draws the short lot gets executed uh, as a way to like punish the whole unit, unit or whatever. And every time a leveler died during this, the mourners would line up and they would wear black and sea green ribbons and bundles of rosemary. And at one funeral for an executed soldier, his coffin was adorned in rosemary dipped in blood, which... Uh, apparently the association of rosemary and remembering the dead goes back a long way, but it was also a symbol of the levelers was ro wearing rosemary in your hats. And I always think it's classy when a movement has like, this is the flower we wear. <laughs> so 
so finally Cromwell's like just fucking sick of him, attacks him, crushes it, uh, and they're defeated. The leaders are imprisoned. Lilburn goes back on trial for like the fifth time or something, this time for high treason. Like every classic revolutionary with a consciousness, he spent time on trial both under the despotic government he then helped overthrow and then right. the supposedly revolutionary government that replaced it. Yeah, no, this is where I think your politics and mine intersect. Is like, and this is evidence that like the people we think are going to be good, once they get some power, they're usually not very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like kind of the subtitle of the show in some ways is revolution as a lateral move. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, I want to believe in the revolution. Who doesn't yeah. want to believe in the revolution as a liberating force? But, you know, but you look at a lot of revolutions yeah. and then you have to start explaining what went wrong. And like the thing is that yeah. it's very convenient, I think, for our side of things these days that often we can say, well, what went wrong was U.S. interventionism. Right? Right. What went wrong totally. was, a, was a program of, of fucking with them. Right. And yeah. so and that's fair to say. Yeah. It's like I'm not I'm not discrediting that. Yeah. However, I think I, I don't think that if you take the U.S. interventionism out. I don't think we wind up with the workers' paradise either. Yeah, you know, I, I suspect that you're on Earth. There's no cure for that, right? Yeah, so. yeah. There's the the quote. Um, I think it's Bakunin as a quote that you you take the most ardent revolutionary and invest him in absolute power, and he'll be worse than the czar overnight. You know, I just, mean, it's just power. I, I, I mean, I, I, this is the thing. Bakunin, mm -hmm. like like all ra revolutionaries, yeah. wants to overstate his case always, to, so you'll remember what he said. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they'll be worse than the czar, but I think they'll be the czar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, totally. That's the thing. It's mm -hmm. like. You know, and the thing is, you know, this is where my, you know, this is one of the worst Christian uh, impulses that I have is like, mm -hmm. I kind of get it. You know, I understand mm -hmm. how like right now, if I'm in a state of profound discomfort backstage, mm -hmm. well, I'm going to start to complain about it because I have gotten used to a level of comfort and I'm a yeah. middle-aged person and I can't, I can no longer be the guy at a squat happy yeah. to play the show at the squat, you know, yeah. and uh and and I think, you know, once a person gets power, they understand things about power that, that we can't understand from this side of it, that uh, aren't uh -huh. apprehensible until you have it. And then, and then I mean, presidents find this out all the time. They run for president. They say, I'm going to do this and that. And they get in the seat and they go, yeah. oh, I can't actually do anything. You right. know, uh, unless I EO it, if I executive order, well, then I'm not going to get a second term. Yeah. I mean, the bad guys are willing to roll the dice on that and they're doing, yeah. you know, an effective job of it for themselves right now. But, uh, but. But yeah, it's like it's one of the things is like I do think absolutely when people get power, they behave abominably. Yeah. I also suspect that from that side of things, there's more to know that aren't explainable right. until you're on that side of things. Tolstoy actually tries to do this. But. Yeah. So I don't know. So Lilliburn, he's back on trial. He has a really good way of words, though. He convinces the jury that he has the jury has a better right to decide the law than the government or judges. So he gets found not guilty. And then he lives kind of quietly in London, and he gets banished to the Netherlands for some other nonsense. Two years later, he comes back illegally, immediately gets arrested. Once again, he talks the jury out of a death sentence. He's very good at doing this. And he gets imprisoned on the Isle of Jersey. In 1655, he converts to a new religion from the same era. Are you like me? Are you like me? Mm -hmm. When you hear somebody has been imprisoned on an island, mm -hmm. do you think, how come I can't get imprisoned? Yeah, I know, right? It sounds really I nice. And go, I'll write my, yeah. I'll write poetry on my island. It'll be great. <laughs> yeah, like the, I think it's, I think it's Norway. I can't remember as like the famous, like here's the prison island where you just, you get a house and you live on the prison. Yeah, or island. Napoleon, right? Yeah. Napoleon yeah. tries to conquer the entirety of Europe, and then he gets to go to Corsica, right? <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Yeah. Well, and then well, while he's imprisoned on this island, he converts to to Quakerism, and yeah, because Not Napoleon. No, not Napoleon. Yeah, <laughs> although that would be an interesting story on its It'd own. Be a good, a good retconning, a good, yeah. a good sort of 
Yeah. Uh, not steampunk, but I don't, what do you call steampunk where it's just with religion? <laughs> Instead of just imagining other rulers as belonging to different faiths. Yeah, I'm into yeah. This. Um, and since the, the Quakers are noted pacifists, he's able to write Cromwell and be like, hey, I'm a, I'm a pacifist now. And Cromwell's like, fine, you're a pacifist. I'll let you go because he can't lead a rebellion because he's a Quaker. So, and then. How could this, this is so ignorant though. He's no, like, well, you're a pacifist for now. If I'm Cromwell, I'm saying, yeah. yeah, no, it's great that you've adopted some new notion. I don't. Yeah. If I, if I'm a head of state, I don't really trust you to maintain your position much longer, especially if you've ever been near power. Yeah. It's like so. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, fortunately for Cromwell, and unfortunately for John Lilburn, uh, he dies the way that everyone dies, which is randomly of a fever. Um, yeah. He's 42 years old in the 17th century, so he just dies, <laughs> and then Elizabeth dies like three years later. Um, I started researching this guy expecting not to like him because I've always known the levelers as like the slightly more moderate on like the, you know, at some point we'll, we'll get to talk about the diggers and, right. and all the rest. But I, I just, I actually really liked him. I really liked that he just said what he said, believed what he believed and was just like, I'm just going to do this. I'm obstinate. I'm just going to always follow my moral compass uh, wherever it leads me. So that's the levelers. That's, uh, or at least John Lilburn's part of the levelers. And that's the right. the first part of what I wanted to talk with you about. So. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm intrigued by your um, your desire to have a horse in the race, to have a guy, right? The, yeah. The, whether, I, whether I like him or don't like him, because it's something I'm always trying not to do mm-hmm. with history is like, I don't want to like anybody or dislike anybody. I want to see what they're about, mm-hmm. but I want to try not to be picking heroes, right? Uh, uh, I mean, again... You know, I uh, I think uh, you know, Crass, the UK mm-hmm. anarchist band, had a, a "No Gods, No Masters" slogan. Yeah, yeah. And I, I extend that to heroes and idols. Is like I, totally. I, I think you know we can't help but 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 be impressed by people. But I think that the desire to go, oh, this guy's my friend. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have any friends in history. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like so, that's kind of part of why I, I I know it sounds a little bit backwards, but that's part of what I'm trying to do is just be like. I want to warts and all some of these people who are heroes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, the levelers, these are amazing people. And I'm like, well, other people. And I like some of yeah. what they did. And I can strongly agree with that. Yeah. And I think we can use inspiration from seeing people who like did what they believed in, you know, come hell or high water. And uh, without, yeah, without being like, I don't want to, I don't want to pedestal people. Right. You know, it's kind of. Yeah. And I'm still I'm still trying to learn exactly how to express that in, in these scripts and stuff, but that's my hope. Well, it's part of the ongoing process of of doing history is is figuring out how to how to deal with the problem of individuals. Yeah. I mean you can you can have done with them and just talk about about movement of history, right? And and yeah. and not not worry too much about individuals because they're unreliable quantities. But yeah. I mean I mean part of why we do is because of where we are at in the post enlightenment and especially post twentieth century we think a lot about individuals, yeah. you know, it's one of the things that I, you know, that I, uh, that I like best about my communist friends is that like, you know, and, and a lot of, uh, uh sort of post-Christian Christians is mm-hmm. like obsessing about the individual is missing the point. We totally. can't, the, the individual doesn't get the best that they can get unless, unless they're sort of erased, unless you start thinking just about the whole. Yeah. Right? Uh, and, well, one way you could practice that is also in doing history to try and not be telling stories of individuals, right? Yeah. Uh, now, it's almost impossible right. because I'm an individual, right. right? So I like to hear stories about a person, right? Right. Uh, 
you know, and that's natural. That's yeah. fine. You know, I, there is no, there, there's no binary way of saying, well, then you should do it this way and not do it this way. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's always important when we're talking about stories about people to like be thinking also, again, Tolstoy, about the currents <laughs> that caused them to do the things they did, about how in some sense they weren't making any choices at all. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and, and the thing is like, we often will then put our own values it's like, look, if you decide to hit me, that's your choice, uh -huh. right? And you own that choice no matter what caused you to do it. Yes, that's true in interpersonal relations, right? But there's another historical way of thinking. It's like, you were going to do that no matter what. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's totally. like mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's, that's, that's also stuff always worth having on hand when we talk about this stuff. Yeah. Total pleasure talking with you. Yeah, it was really nice talking to you. And, um, well, do you have any, uh, anything you'd like to plug? Any, uh, Anything that people should go out and listen to or read or what have you been working on? Uh, you know, trying to struggle with the, the, the rise of an incipient fascist state. Uh, yeah, that's a big one, yeah. <laughs> it's, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's really, it's <laughs> on my mind right now. It's like, it's really bad. It's always, you know, I have a lot of uh, uh, radical friends who say, no, it's always been bad. Well, yes, it has always been bad, but like right now we're in a, in a really rough moment and, and it makes it feel vain for you to go, well, go buy my new record. Of course you should buy my new record. I hope you do. I'm very proud of it. <laughs> Come see us on tour. I, we will have a good time. We'll, you know, rage against the, the you know, we'll, we'll try and try and make some, you know, some diversion at best, you know, mm -hmm. try and ha find some ecstasy. But, but, uh, but the main thing I want to plug is that we collectively have to figure something out. Yeah. You know, uh, we have to be, be somehow looking past a number of differences to, to find our collective strength and to express it. And the thing is, I hate to, I, I don't want to be, but that means get out and vote. Well, those people are so tiresome, right? But it's like, I don't know what else we're going to do. I don't think we actually have the numbers to be, you know, to, to be storming mm -hmm. the Capitol or anything like that. I don't think that's going to happen. What's the wrong way to do I, it? I also storming, have a whole yeah. shtick about how that's not going to happen because of, uh, of, of mass media and entertainment. Mm -hmm. That like when we're talking about revolutions, these are people who also didn't have TVs and computers, you know, and, uh, and so it's a different world. But, um, but yeah, but I mean, collectively, that's what I want to plug is, Let's all collectively figure out how we're going to stem the very bad tide that, that is quite obviously uh, yeah. in, in, uh, in, in flow right now. Yeah. With fucking Bette Midler posting turf stuff yesterday. I'm fucking <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, I haven't shit. even seen it. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, don't. It's don't, terrible. It's because bad. Oh, no. No, because she played, yeah. she played at really important bathhouses and stuff. I mean, yeah. she's a genuine icon. Yeah. And it's very sad. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's all right. News there, so. <laughs> I'm used to it, <laughs> you know. We're all getting used to it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. So. A pleasure talking to you. Uh, really, what you're doing is fun. Thank this you. is really cool. Thanks. Okay, right. peace, peace. Bye. Bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. 
Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.